Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Hope you're doing well. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're going to be finishing up our series called The Dragon in the Room. This is week eight, and we're going to be talking about the topic of heaven. I want to welcome everybody here at the Niwa campus, Fred campus. Love you. Everybody who's online, thanks for taking some time today to hang out with us. And we're actually going to finish out our series the same way that John, the author of the book of Revelation, finishes out his letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And here's the deal. Heaven uh, is a, it's a big topic. It's a polarizing topic. I would argue that just about all of us probably have some questions uh, about heaven. doesn't matter if you've been part of the church or grew up in the church. It doesn't even matter if you're participating today and, and if you're a follower of Jesus or not. We uh, heaven is just a topic, doesn't seem to go away because we all know this, but every single day people die. We are presented with death, and you've been to funerals, and, and usually when you're at a funeral, the idea of the topic of heaven will come up. And so uh, heaven is a, it's a pretty big topic, and so we're going to do our best to answer some questions about uh, heaven today. Now, we can't answer all of them, but here's my prayer that we'll start going down at least the, the right path or be going in the right direction that'll help us have a better understanding and idea of heaven. Now, uh, I know that you are interested in heaven because there are so many things that have been written, so many movies that have been made uh, over the years about heaven, and people uh, just, they dive into it. They want to learn more. In fact, uh, this is about uh, eight years ago now, uh, but back in 2004, there was a book uh, written, some of you may have even read it or heard about it, it's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Uh, it was written by a guy named Don Piper. Then they made a movie about uh, this book in 2015. And the book is about uh, Don's death and resurrection experience that he claims to have had back in 1989. It was a huge success. The book was on the New York Times bestseller list for over five years, sold more than six million copies. Uh, then in 2010, so you might remember this book, uh, a book called Heaven is for Real by Todd Burpo. They made a movie about this book in 2014. Uh, this is a story about Todd's son, Colton, who when he was four, had a near-death experience. And when his son kind of uh, came back to life, so to speak, uh, the son began to tell his dad about what he saw. And so it's a story about his son's journey to heaven and back. It was also on the New York Times bestseller list. It sold more than 10 million copies, and the movie made over $100 million at the box office, meaning uh, that most of us are very interested uh, in what heaven is and what it looks like and what we're going to be doing there. Now, the reason why I just bring all of this up is, yes, to make a cultural argument that you're interested in heaven, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. You're, you're interested in what's going to happen after you die, but I want us to use some caution here. I want to use some caution about, about where we go and what we read and what we listen to that will help us understand better about what heaven uh, is and what it will be like and, and there's a lot of times these books come out and there's a video comes out or there's some preacher somewhere who says that he has figured out something and 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 and, and somebody from the church will send an email in or message or text that you got to watch this they figured it out this is what it's going to be like um, and and I, I don't do this in my response but I'll do this uh, from the stage right this is just John three thirteen this is Jesus right in the middle of a discussion with. Nicodemus, this is what Jesus says, right? This is what Jesus says. He says this in verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. So Jesus says the only person who's been to heaven and has come back is who? 
Jesus. And so I just want to, again, encourage you, all right, to be careful and to be cautious about what you use to understand heaven. Now, I grew up in church with an understanding that um, when I die as a follower of Jesus, that I would go to heaven because that's where God is. And, And I think, hey, very cool. I'm all in. Game on. I love that. I believe it to be true. Now, the very next question that most of us ask, though, is what will heaven be like? What will it be like? Well, what are we going to be doing in heaven? I mean, are we going to be, uh, you probably have seen some of these paintings, you know, are we going to be laying in the clouds, you know, like little fat baby angels or something, you know what I mean? Like wearing our togas and playing harps. Is that, is that heaven? And I would just argue, I hope not, like I hope not. But I've, I've heard some people, I've heard preachers even from the stage talk about that in heaven, we, we actually won't even be able to recognize each other. That in heaven, that we will be uh, almost like these floating orbs, or, or, the, or we're going to have this ghost vibe or spirit vibe. Uh, essentially, we, we will be unrecognizable, which, which I, you know, when I hear that, I go, man, that's a bummer, right? Because most of us are probably looking forward to the idea, we're, we're hoping that there's a time coming that we might be able to reunite with uh, loved ones who have passed away. Uh, and then there's the, you know, the, uh, the, the heaven will be this eternal worship service idea, you know. Usually worship pastors are the one preaching that one, you know. Just 24-7 of everyone in heaven singing hymns for eternity. Wow. I mean, can you imagine? Now, listen, I, I enjoy singing. I enjoy worshiping. In fact, in the service, even today, I got, man, I just, I could feel the, the spirit in the room today. I got a little teary-eyed. I love to worship. I love to sing. But can I just be honest? Can I be honest with you today? And this is a pastor who's going to say it. I know. But singing all day, every day for eternity just doesn't seem that all appealing to me. And some of you just went, I can't believe he said that. I'm saying it. You imagine? Just singing every second for eternity, it just doesn't seem that appealing to me. And if you're honest, I'll say for you, it probably doesn't seem that appealing to you. Um, And so do you ever wonder, like, do you ever wonder what heaven will be like? Do you ever wonder? It's unfortunate that uh, there are so many misconceptions about heaven that for a lot of people, heaven actually becomes a little scary. There's so much un known, and and I would argue today that it doesn't need to be. And so we're going to get into the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapters 21 and 22. We're going to be answering the big question, what will heaven be like? So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21. Again, we've been in the book of Revelation for the last seven weeks, and we'll close it out today. Here's what it says. Again, this is John writing here, and he says this, then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So two quick things here, two things we need to know with this verse. First one, how we define the word new is very, very important. It's very important, especially in this verse. We got to answer the question, what does new mean? You might say, Matt, we all know what the word new means. Very simple word. It only has three letters. Well, if you go look it up in the dictionary today, go online, you'll see that uh, most places will give the word new about 13 to 17 different definitions. There's a lot of ways that we can read the word new. 
Uh, in Greek, they had more than one word for the word new. I'm going to give you two of them, all right? One of the words was uh, the word netos. So now you're all Greek scholars, right? Netos, which means this idea of brand new. There was nothing, and then now there is something, and it is brand new. It didn't exist before, but it exists now, the idea, um, yesterday, um, we uh, had some of our neighbors who are part of our church say we were getting their mail for them. They were away on vacation for a week, and so they came back, they came over, and we gave them all of their uh, packages and mail, uh, and they just recently had a little baby. She is adorable. She's so cute, has more hair on, on her head than I've seen on any baby, but she's beautiful, and they brought her over, and my wife and my girls, they love the whole baby, so they're all holding that baby and loving on her, and that baby is brand new, netos. That baby didn't exist 12 weeks ago, but she's new. She is new. She's new to her family. She's, she's new to everybody she's going to meet because she just arrived. She is brand new. That's the idea of netos. Now, there's another Greek word uh, that's called kainos, another Greek word for the word new. This means newly restored or remodeled. This is the idea of getting an older car and kind of bringing it back to life. This is buying a home that's that's older, and so you have, you, have, you have bought it to restore it, meaning that it existed before you got it. It existed before you bought it, but, but now that you have it, you're going to restore it. You're going to refresh it. You're going to redeem it. You're going to essentially kainos it. You're going to make it new. Now, the reason that this is important is because in Revelation 21.1, when it talks about the new heaven and the new earth, uh, it's using the word kainos, this idea that it existed before and it's being redeemed, it's being refreshed, meaning that it already existed. It is being made new. Peter the Apostle Peter, where you use the, uh, the, uh, the exact same word in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new, that's kainos, a kainos heaven and a kainos earth where righteousness dwells. So it's this idea that it's being made new. It's already existing. Now go back to Revelation 21, 1. Again, look at this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and then there's this second phrase we're going to deal with that says this and there was no longer any sea now in jewish literature the sea uh, it was a symbol for evil and chaos a symbol for evil and chaos you see this all through the scriptures daniel chapter 7 verse 2 says daniel said in my vision at night i looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the what? The sea. Revelation 13, verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore and of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the, where again? The sea. The sea, again, in Jewish literature, was a symbol for evil in chaos. And so this is a big deal when John says in Revelation 21:1 that there was no longer any sea. The sea is gone, meaning that evil and chaos are gone. Why? Well, because God has made all things kainos. He's making all things new. This is why when you jump down just a couple more verses away that John can write this in verse 4. He, talking about God, will wipe away every tear. Why? Because he's making things new. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying. Any parents want to give an amen right there? No more crying. Why are we crying? There's no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So what will heaven be like? Well, according to John, it'll be the world restored or the world redeemed. It's going to be made new, and it's all because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, this idea of heaven even ties back to uh, our week on the rapture. Two weeks ago, we talked about the rapture. Last week, we talked about the mark of the beast. And what we said in the rapture week was because of our hope is not that we will escape the earth and get out of here before this thing gets like really bad and begins to fall apart. What we said is, is that God will renew the earth. And he's going to put it back the way that it should be. This is the idea that John is talking about heaven, that God is going to remove evil. And there will be this new heaven and this new earth. Now it gets even better. I think it gets even better. The writers Isaiah and Daniel and John and Luke and Matthew and Paul all teach that if we die, if we perish before Jesus comes back, that when he does come back, that our souls will be reunited with our bodies. Interesting. And we will be resurrected from the grave just like Jesus. And so our our hope as Christians, even the idea of heaven, is actually found in the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection means that we will also be resurrected as well. And this is great news. This is phenomenal news. Here's why. Because resurrected bodies, they don't get sick. They don't get cancer. Resurrected bodies, they they don't struggle with sin. They, They don't die. Resurrected bodies don't have knee pain, headaches, or back injuries. So what will heaven be like? Well, It's going to be resurrected bodies dwelling with God personally in this new heaven and this new earth, the way that it originally was meant to be, the way that it actually started out. You, you, and in the beginning, if you grew up in the church, Genesis 1-1, you know this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he gave humans, specifically there in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve. He, he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth, even more specifically the Garden of Eden. And he charged them with developing and caring for this garden. In Eden, the realms of heaven and earth were, were together and God walked with man. Can you imagine God literally walked with Adam and Eve, heaven and earth existing in the same space at the same time. But here's the issue, sin entered the world. And so these two realms, so to speak, then were separated. And you find this story in Genesis 3. It's where you learn about the curse that humanity receives after Adam and Eve who are deceived by the devil and eat the fruit that God specifically told them not to eat. After they eat, God then goes on to talk about this relational brokenness that now exists because of their disobedience. This plays out in in Genesis 3, starting in verse 16. This is what God says to the woman. He said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. So ladies, it's not your husband's fault, okay? It's not. It's Eve's. 
With painful labor, you will give birth to children. You desire, your desire will be for your husband, and then he will rule over you. So you see this idea of relational brokenness here, even as the first couple of verses between humanity and humanity. Because of the fall, because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, now there's distance that's been created between man and woman and man and man and woman and woman, but it wasn't supposed to be this way. We all know this is true. You can't even argue with this. It doesn't even matter if you believe in God. Just turn on the news. We just can't seem to get along with each other. There's a, a struggle for power and a struggle for authority. We, we fight for popularity. We fight to, to be at the top. We fight to have the most followers. Where does this come from? Where it comes from the curse from the garden. I mean, Adam and Eve were doing pretty well before they disobeyed. We don't hear of a lot of a marital strife between them, do we? It's pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it got really bad really fast. In fact, after they disobeyed and the curse comes upon humanity, it's only a couple chapters later where we have a brother killing a brother. Why? Because one brother was jealous of the other one. Where does that come from? It comes from the curse. Humanity against humanity. There's this relational brokenness. There's distance now. All of a sudden, relationships become very difficult. God goes on, verse 17, to Adam. He said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So you see this second kind of relational brokenness between humanity and creation. Because of the fall, now distance was created between people and creation. And you remember that when God is creating, when he's literally creating the earth and everything that is in it, God continues says, and it is good. It is good. God created a good earth, and yet after the fall, you see this curse that is happening now between humanity and creation, and yet it wasn't supposed to be that way. It's not originally how God created it. Keeps going, then verse 23, so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken, and after he drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so the third relational brokenness you see now is between humanity and God. There's now distance. Where God once walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, now that's no more. Because of the fall, now there's distance between the people and God, but again, it was not supposed to be this way. This is why when you look at Revelation 21 and you see the words of John, you see his vision. Hopefully, this uh, begins to bring to life what is going to be happening in heaven. See, in heaven, the broken relationships are going to be restored. Things are going to be brought back to the way they originally were, the way that God originally designed them to be. So go back, Revelation 21, verse 1. Look at that again. Then, then I saw, again, John is writing, a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. John's going to look. It's going to be made brand new. 
It's going to be restored to how it was. It's going to be amazing. All the evil and all the chaos is going away. It keeps going verse 2. So I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Relational restoration. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. So there's this excitement, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Again, relationships are being restored here. Verse 4, so what is he going to do? He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Kainos. We're hitting the refresh button. We're going to go back. We're going to redeem. We're going to restore this thing. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Relationships restored. And then John will end his letter. Chapter 22. Going back to where it all started. In Genesis. It goes back to a garden. Look what he says, verse 1. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Relationships being restored. And then look at this, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. No longer will Genesis 3 be in play. God has come to redeem and to restore and make all things right. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. So what will heaven be like? Well, heaven will be a celebration of restoration of broken relationships. A place where heaven and earth are going to be reunited just like it was in Eden. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of the scriptures. Friends, if, if you're new to church, if you're new to uh, discovering about who God is and who Jesus is, here, here's like the cliff note version. God so desperately desires to be with you. It's who he is. He cannot help himself. You see this in the beginning of, of Genesis when he is creating. He desires to be with his creation. He is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Through disobedience now, there's been a relational separation. There's now brokenness. And yet God still desires to be close. In the Old Testament, God will be close to his people through the tabernacle, 
You, you see this even as we jump into the New Testament when Jesus is arriving. This is the story of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. God desired to be so close to you that he would send his son to walk with us and to be with us. Ultimately, to call his son to give up his life so that you and I may have the opportunity, if we would come to the right conclusion of who Jesus is, that we might even have a right and good relationship with the Father, all because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then this whole thing ends with God coming and redeeming and renewing and repairing the brokenness of our world. And we will live with him. He will live with us, reigning and ruling together this incredible place that he's created. John closes out the whole thing. I love how he closes it out. Revelation 22, verse 20. I have found myself, and even preparing for this message on heaven, thinking over and over about this verse, because I don't know about you, but it's been a pretty tough year, no? We did a poll today and just asked the question, how many of you have experienced relational brokenness this year? How many of you have been in the midst of relational strife with a spouse or a child or friends? people within our church, leadership. How many of you have felt relational strife and distance with God, seeming as though he's far away, asking big questions about where he is and what he's up to and what he's doing? I have kept coming back to the end of the letter of Revelation where John says this, verse 20 in chapter 22, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. And then here's how essentially John ends it. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus, would you come and make things new? Make things new. Would you redeem it and renew it like only you can do? And then verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. What will heaven be like? It's going to be amazing, friends. Resurrected bodies dwelling with God for eternity. Let me pray for us. Father, Thanks for the reminder today that there is a season coming that's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a place of redemption and restoration where you will make all things new. You will restore to how it originally was. You will redeem broken relationships. between people 
between people and creation and between people and you. You will make all things right. So I pray that you would encourage your church today. You would even refresh their hearts and their minds as we look forward to a day where all things will be made right. And in the meantime, that we would even live in anticipation and in such a way, ushering in the kingdom of God here on earth for eternity. Would you help us to not just wait for a day where you will make things right, but to live in such a way that we will fight to make things right, to fight for restoration in the midst of our relationships with people, and maybe most importantly, to fight, to come to an understanding, and to be in a right relationship with you here and now, as we look forward to a day we get to walk with you for eternity. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Without him, we wouldn't even be here today. We would have no hope. And yet it's through his death and resurrection you have given your church hope, a renewed faith, an inspiration for the future of what is yet to come. May we live with great anticipation and excitement for that day. God, we love you. We pray all this in the name of your son. And the church said, amen.